The Perfectly Generic podcast contains spoilers, occasional adult language, and Vriska. You've been warned. This show's supported by listeners like you. Thanks to our top supporters, Legfish, Max May, Watch Revolutionary Girl Utena, Gumi, Kansas Just Got Gayer, Tangential Gunslinger, Christian Labrio, and Isaac Alexander. Wow, you almost got bored to death. It's the Perfectly Generic Podcast. <coughs> I'm your host, Kate Mitchell. I'm here with a very special guest, Trace Excalibur. How's it going, Trace? Hi, I'm Trace. Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, any any podcast is good when it starts with vor right out the gate. I mean, yeah, we you know we try to we try to keep it very vor positive here. <laughs> This is a more friendly podcast. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, I I mean, look, we just have to acknowledge that, like, that was an actual line in the Homestuck epilogues. And so, therefore, I'm just quoting it. Um, Yeah, it's it's canon. We can't uncanonize it. Right. We can't ignore it. That actually, that's true. That actually happened in canon, too. That was, that was, that was canon by epilogue standards. Yeah. Um, Vor is Homestuck official. Tell your friends. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I feel like there were already a few. Uh, <laughs> there were a few Vor references in Friendsim. Um, True. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess we should uh, we should actually talk about Friendsim real quick uh, because I wanted to to like introduce you. Uh, so you yes. you were a writer and programmer on HiveSwap Friendsim. Um, but before I that, was. Uh, what was your history with MSPA? Like, how did this all start for you? Oh, boy. Um, so it was a long time ago. Many eons passed. Um, and I was browsing TV tropes, which is always a great start to a story. Um, and I I don't remember exactly what it was, but I stumbled across Problem Sleuth from one article or another. And I was like, well, this sounds pretty interesting. So I binged it in like three days. And I was like, this is the best comic I've ever read. That's my um, exact origin story as well. Really? <laughs> I like I I'd seen it mentioned in a like in the uh, daily blogs on dinosaur comics, but I hadn't ah. actually clicked through and read it until I like saw it on all taking over TV tropes pages, and I was like, "Fuck it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I read all the way through Problem Sleuth, and I, I looked up, and I was like, "I wonder what else this guy's got," and it turned out he had Homestuck. <laughs> Um, and I caught up somewhere in the middle of Act 3, which is extremely early by most fan standards, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, See, the difference is, is that I found Problem Sleuth on TV Tropes in 2008. This, oh. is, me, this is me just flexing. But yeah, so oh. around Act 3 is still is still before the memory of most listeners. Yeah, before half of them were born. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not really, but God, can you imagine? Yeah, it's, uh, um, soon enough, somebody will be listening to this show who yeah. who was born after Homestuck started, and that's just yeah. like that's. I mean, they're, yeah, like it's getting close to that day, and I'm very yeah. scared. Yeah, and I, I remember very specifically that it had to have been during Act Three because I remember I was reading the intermission while it was being posted live mm-hmm. and going to the forums and seeing people complain about it and going, "What are you people talking about? This is incredible!" You're I, ter- I, you're, I will terrible. never understand intermission haters in my right? entire life. I will never I, understand them. <laughs> right? It's it's fantastic. So anyway, uh, so things continued and many more discourses passed, and I remained. Uh, a fan of the comic basically through its whole run. Um, and then eventually I'm just 
chilling one January day, probably somewhere in January. And my lovely friends, Shelby and Amber Craig, come to me and say, hey, uh, Andrew's got us working on this little spin-off thing for, for HiveSwap, and we need a programmer. Do you want to come on board? And I was like, hell yeah. And <laughs> that is, that is a, that's a wild origin. You just, you just got thrown right into the deep end. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, I'd already done some programming stuff for the, the Craig wives. So they, they knew that I was capable of it. Mm-hmm. Had um, you done any Homestuck fan work before? Uh, oh yeah. I, I had like fanfics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like a decent history with Homestuck fan work. Um, it, it had been quite a while since the last time I did something with it. When I got asked to work on Friendsim, though, kind of fell out of the groove. Mm-hmm. And frankly, most of my old stuff was bad anyway. So. <laughs> I mean, that's how it is. Like we, um, honestly, it, it seems like sort of the community slipped back into the groove because of Friendsim. Yeah, honestly, which uh, is awesome. It's been so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been so nice going on Twitter and reading good takes about Homestuck for once. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's all you. <laughs> no, I, obviously not. It's only mostly me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so were you originally going to write for Friendsim or did that sort of end up happening like mid project? Uh, it happened mid project actually. Um, originally I was just going to be the programmer and then when, more and more people were getting brought on to write. I was like, hey, I could do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, actually, I, I was going to ask to write uh, Cuprum and Follicles route. Uh-huh. Um, because when, I, th- I think it was around volume two or three, I got access to like the, the docs that they had for all of the characters on the, the troll call. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was going down it, reading up on everyone, and I saw that Cuprum spoke in green text, and I was like, I'm in love with this man. Yeah, his inspiration <laughs> screenshots were just a bunch of green texts. Yeah, no, it was it was so perfect. Like, because I I had previously felt kind of like like there was a missed opportunity with Matuna to make him like some like shitty V board green texter guy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I was like, I want to see a character who does this, and then I got to see a character who did that. So, well, it's it's you know the original trolls were were reflections of a like a contemporary internet culture of 2010, yeah. and then the alpha trolls were reflections of like a Tumblr culture. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, we we finally got we finally got our representation of the true like grimiest internet culture. Yeah, <laughs> we, we finally up. have gamer culture represented. I'm an ex I'm an ex gamer. My gaming days are behind me. I'm I'm so happy for you. I wish that I could join you. In I that prayed world. I prayed the gamer away. Also, that's not true. I spent fucking six hours playing Rim World yesterday. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm, I mean, you you say you're an ex gamer, and then we start the podcast late because you were watching Overwatch. So. I'm actually I've still got it on in the background. <laughs> it's Perfect. my it's my friends and former coworkers playing a match right now. You yeah, know, yeah. I feel I feel yeah. a sense of obligation. You're you're allowed. I'll allow it. Yeah. just this once. They're losing, so that's pretty oh. normal for us. Oh no, they're too. Uh, so we... so I for for those who aren't familiar, like I put together an Overwatch League team this last season uh, for a job that I then quit. Um, but we were <laughs> we are that team is two and seventeen. So maybe I'm not. Maybe maybe I could have done a little better at that. <laughs> oh, well, 
PJ and Pod listeners, can we get an F in chat? Can we get an F in chat, please, for Washington Justice? I love them. They would have done so much better in any other meta. Um, But nobody comes here to listen to me ramble about competitive Overwatch. So let's. I want to talk about justice. Can can their mascot be Terezi, please? Can their that's I that's what I wanted. Um, (laughs) Nobody nobody on the team has read Homestuck, although Stratus might because he's a huge Undertale fan. Oh, that's that's your in. Yeah, that's how you get them. I, I did I did class spec them all once, but I do not, <laughs> I do not remember what I picked. Um, <sighs> Jesus Christ! So I want to talk about I want to talk about a couple of your friend sims before we get into the main topic. Yes, um, first off, I I just wanted to I just wanted to thank you um, for Stelsa uh, because it's incredibly remarkable on a planet entirely comprised of teenagers for someone to rise up and become a milf anyway. Um, (laughs) and Stelsa managed to do that. I mean, I I cannot take credit for Stelsa's inception, but I was so glad that I found a way to write a little bit of her in Nike's route. That was just... Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about Nike's route because it's sort of, um... It's sort of, like, one of those quintessential friend sim routes where it combines, like... It's very gay. Um, (laughs) it's very weird. Uh, and and it, like, it has... like once you get past the silliness, there's a deep metatextual like strangeness and and something that like illustrates a lot more of the world and the significance of MSPA reader. Um, so like you, I mean, you kind of threw everything at the wall in that Nike route. Oh yeah, I I'm so glad it worked out the way it did. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'll admit, like at first, I kind of felt like I was phoning it in on that route because I, I had come up with a different concept for the route that got rejected because it didn't fit Nike's character well enough, mm-hmm. uh, which was fine. Uh, and then I was like, okay, I guess I'll just go back to the basics and just do a story where Nike's like, oh, let's wrestle. And then MSBA reader isn't strong enough, and Nike's like, oh, let's train. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then the idea came to me to do that, to do that bad end um, yeah. route. And... It, it just spawned from this thought of like, wouldn't it be hilarious if there was just this bad end that's a bunch of like ridiculous time skips in a row and things just keep getting worse and worse. And then I slowly uh, found a way to bring MSPA readers kind of like powers and quote unquote class spec, even though it's not something that gets like explicitly defined, but like they've got something going on uh-huh. and I and it was slowly and surely getting built upon in each friend sim and mine was like that was volume 17 the second to last so I was like okay now I can I can take the opportunity to really dig into this and find something interesting there yeah you you had you had the benefit of like having all this I mean because because friend sim was very steadily like growing into this much more like metatheologically significant thing you know the first like the first volume you just like you you know you kill a hot dog boy and and assemble (laughs) ikea furniture in a dom dungeon and and you think oh well this is just a silly romp this isn't actually like this isn't this is very funny but it's not actually going anywhere yeah but (laughs) that the thing is any work that is written by Andrew or Andrew adjacent, it's going somewhere. Yeah, it's just not even the people working on it know where it's going yet. Uh huh. It's it's a it's an absolute improvisational ride. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> oh man, I just I really do love that route. I do love the I love the the month long robot Nike pursuit. Yeah. <laughs> 
God, it's it's so good. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm just a genius writer, and I'm happy that everybody realizes that. Yeah, now. it's true. It's true. So this uh, this week in Homestuck, uh, I don't think any. I mean, the Homestuck Instagram posted a picture of a plushie on the beach. I think that's about it. I don't think anything else actually happened. It was I, my birthday. A lot of people happen. made Vris Rose content, and that was nice. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I mean, one of these days, your birthday is going to be another one of those like significant Homestuck dates. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, I think this year was the first year where that's the case. I, yes. I you know, it's Vris, it's the official Vris Rose day. Yes, exactly. The most slept on ship. Oh God, Vris Rose. Oh, it's great. Dangerous women. I, I just love dangerous yeah. women. Yeah, I, I love the like ship art where like Vrithros are kind of sort of pitch, like sort of hating each other while liking each other, and then Kanaya's like, "This is the hottest thing that's ever happened." Yeah, to me. right, right. That's <laughs> Vrithros is good because it's for because Kanaya wants it to happen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and Kanaya deserves everything that she's ever wanted. Absolutely, and that's just a fact. So let's. So for this episode, we were going to talk about uh, the sprites. Um, yes, which. Where I would say the, the like the sprite was actually the like first kernel sprite was actually the first straight up supernatural element in Homestuck. Um, it was the first indication of like the scope of the story and the scope of this game um, as something beyond just like the Sims in your house. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and since then, and and with the very first sprite with Nana Sprite, like it was the first introduction to the idea that in homestuck death is mutable yeah and and so the sprites continued to have this very great significance after that because they were our first indication of the game's like greater intelligence and significance and also like the first indication that maybe dying isn't game over in homestuck yeah Um, (laughs) and i feel like we got you know we got introduced first to Nana Sprite, um, who I think is is very sneakily interesting. Oh, Nana Sprite is great, and also she's the most slept on gilf in Homestuck. <laughs> she's the only gilf in Homestuck, I think. Right, yeah, but people still manage to sleep on her. Yeah, it's true. So. I'm trying to think about who else would be a gilf. Uh, you know, the Condest could count. She only has one. She only has one generation of descendant, though. Ah, true. So she's not. She's not technically a gilf. She's still. Okay. She's still in milf territory. Okay, bear with me here. The mother grub is a gilf. Oh, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> oh. Glaboygib uh, is a gilf. Is the ultimate gilf. Yes. <laughs> and anyone who thinks otherwise is a liar. Holy shit! This episode is bad, and it's my fault. Uh- <laughs> I don't know. I was the one who inserted the word gilf into it to begin with. Um, I mean, I think a reasonable amount of gilfs is 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 to be expected. But Nana, yeah. um, Becca asked on Twitter, Nana Sprite is a clown, and that's kind of foreshadowing for Epilogue's Jane, huh? And I know you have some thoughts about Epilogue Jane, so I kind of wanted to ask this question just to give you a, a platform to go off. Uh, okay. Um, well, if you want me to go off, uh, Epilogue's Jane uh, sucks and I hate her. No, um, <laughs> She's she is a clown. I mean, she she clowns on herself by dating a clown. She becomes like clown adjacent by getting involved with Gamzee. Um and that's I think the, the the purest indication that something has gone terribly wrong for our good friend Jane Crocker is that she's fucking a clown right now. Proximity to like, Gamzee is usually like a good indication that something is very wrong. Yeah. 
Proximity to Gamzee represents the lowest point in any character arc. And the reason that Epilogue Jane's character arc is a tragic arc is because she barely gets over him. Like, she kicks him out at the end, but she never reaches an emotional catharsis the way that Vriska does by strangling him or mm-hmm. that Terezi does by uh, stabbing him in the Game Over timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why her arc is tragic as opposed to uplifting. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, <laughs> like Jane, it's just... So I've always thought that Jane is very, like, willfully oblivious. Um, like, you yeah. know, she has this she has this life that she's determined to think is mundane, despite the fact that she's frequently subject to assassination attempts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's determined by all costs to think is mundane. She's determined by all costs to think that her friends' lives are mundane, even, like, blowing up at Roxy when Roxy tries to tell her the truth about her life. Yeah. Um, and, like... For 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 Jane, like that attitude never really being disabused from her, um, and then her ending up a literal god is a very bad combination. Oh yeah, it's it's terrible. She she has this. She has a lot of strong ideas about how she knows how to do things, um, and they kind of like they show up right at the start of her character arc when she's thinking about how how she's going to make all these big sweeping changes when she gets control of the Crocker brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of disappears because she spends most of the rest of the comic just kind of um, getting shit on by the narrative and yeah. like being really sad about her dad and about how Caliborn's treating her and everything. And then Roxy kind of like takes over as the main protagonist of her friend group. Um, so, so a lot of that stuff kind of disappeared and then suddenly came roaring back in the epilogues. Yeah, um, which is so also true. Was, which is also true of Dirk and like they were always very close yeah. friends, and becoming gods was the worst mutual thing that could have happened to both of them. Absolutely. <laughs> like but, for for Jane, it's interesting because they they do end up going in different directions though, because Dirk like leans into being a god, right? Whereas Jane keeps trying to be a human, like yeah, ignoring exactly. the fact that she's a god, and like keeps trying to think of herself as a no- quote normal person, and she thinks her yeah. ideas are normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She just wants to. She just wants to do what she's always wanted, which is to be in charge, be a boss, and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And she has a very skewed idea of the right thing that is especially not helped by the fact that Dirk is pushing her towards that. Yeah. Um, because I think Dirk wants her to become her worst self because then she'll distract everyone from what Dirk's doing. Yeah. Um, and bringing it back to Nana Sprite, um, I think what's so interesting is that Nana is the perfect indication that this didn't have to be what happened to Jane Mm -hmm. because Nana literally was raised by the Condess in a much more direct sense. And, Perhaps because of how direct it was, instead of being a more subtle manipulation, Nana completely rejected what the Condess was and yeah. decided she would rather live just a happy, jokey life mm-hmm. running a joke shop. Mm-hmm. That's something that Jane could do, too. Jane could settle into not only a normal life, but a life where she isn't trying to think of herself as this important boss who's doing what needs to be done. She can just chill, mm-hmm. and that would be okay for Jane. And Nana Sprite is is proof that not all Janes have to go down this path. Mm-hmm. 
But, uh, you know, I think it's important, though, to note that, uh, like, you know, Jane left her message to, to like, Nana Sprite left her message to John um, in, like, Colonel Sassaker's book. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Sassaker, like, ra- like, also raised Jane and is only described a few times and is explicitly denoted as racist a bunch. <laughs> so, yeah, like, true. I'm not, I, I'm not entirely convinced that, like, Jane turning out the way she did is not like a sort of take out of the idea of like your racist grandma that you awkwardly don't talk about politics with. <laughs> you know, I never thought about that, but you're right. <laughs> that's why that's my hot take. <laughs> your your hot take is that we have to accept that the best gilf in Homestuck is a racist. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> we, so, I, sometimes it'd be like that yeah i mean look this is like yeah like a, an important part of personal growth is recognizing that sometimes you find bad people hot um it's, it's true and like grappling with that and this I, is I, I think homestuck is andrew hussey's 10-year odyssey of grappling with that very fact yeah it, it does seem like that um <laughs> sometimes sometimes bad people are hot and you just you just have to accept that you have to understand it, um, yep. Because otherwise you risk conflating aesthetic and aesthetic and and merit. Um, and it's and it's you know notable that like Jane is described by basically everyone as being sexy. It's true. <laughs> she's a she's a what, what? Oh God! I want to be silent for a second. Uh, this. Smoking hot bombshell, something foxy mama out of uh, Massachusetts, USA. Yeah, Janie is a straight-up like sexual fox riding a red-hot yeah. nuclear bombshell right toward the Yowza Plaza in the heart of Babe City, Massachusetts, USA. The last A just stands for more ass. And people have tried to tell me that Roxy is straight. Can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, I, I, she, I, I don't understand how someone can read all of Homestuck and miss Roxy Kelly completely, but then also that's Candy John. So <laughs> yeah, no, Candy no. John is the guy who reads Homestuck and thinks, wow, Roxy and Kelly sure are good friends. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the other, the other beta kid sprites for a sec. Um, yeah. So first off, um, there's Jasper Sprite. Um, and we're not going to talk about the other component, like the other thing that Jasper Sprite becomes until later. Um, yeah. But like, first off, like Rose is the one of the group that is like most actively like pushing the game, right? I mean, she yeah. is the Eve offering John the apple of forbidden knowledge. Absolutely. Um, and it's because she wants her cat back. Yeah. God, Rose Rose's arc with Jasper Sprite is honestly so tragic. Yeah. Because her entire motivation for starting the game was to get him back. Yeah. And then she barely spends any time with him because she's too distracted by all of the nonsense of the game and by her increasing realization that fate has it out for them Mm -hmm. and her desperate desire to break away from that. Yeah. And so, you know, she rejects the quest that Jaspers gives her. She starts trying to break the game. She barely spends any time with him. And it's just sad. It is. Like, it's very sad. Rose, Rose, honestly, there's, that's another parallel between Rose and Dirk, who are, like, basically the same character. Um, 
is that like Rose gets sort of preoccupied with power and the implications of power. Yeah. And forgets to be a person sometimes. She does. I'd say the difference between her and Dirk is that Dirk kind of like eventually says, fuck it, I'm embracing that power. Yeah. Whereas for Rose, I think she always sees it as a burden. Well, she says, fuck it first. She and then fuck it first. And then her um, mom dies and then it all goes to hell. Yeah, it does go to hell. But, and but and Dirk, for, Dirk had nobody he cared, he cared about like that died compared yeah. to compared to, to Rose who did. Yeah. But yeah, for Rose, I think it's more like just um, the way she is entwined with her aspect, the, the way she feels this like pressure of fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think when Rose sees his power, she's thinking with this power, I can do anything I want. And that's going to be great. She's thinking more with this power. I can do what I'm going to have to do Yeah, or she- else I'm going to, break everything and either way i'm not going to be happy she's one of the many people in homestuck who tries to skip to the end boss and like pays yeah. really really hard for it yeah absolutely um and then we get uh the best homestuck character uh rambunctious crow oh my god <laughs> rambunctious crow is so slept on um <laughs> One of the best moments in the comic is when Dave accidentally launches his katana at it and then, like, claps his hands over his face. Yeah, it's so cute. That's one of those moments where you're just like, oh, Dave's just a fucking kid. Oh, Oh, no. Yeah, Dave, Dave. Dave's still, Dave is baby at the start of the comic, and it's very tragic. baby. And thank you so much, Dream Jade, for prototyping that crow. Yeah. You did us all a great favor. Um, yeah, crows are, fun fact, crows are my favorite animal. So I love, uh, I, I love crow sprite. Um, uh, but obviously, uh, things go very bad for that sprite originally. Um, yeah. Because Lil Cal gets thrown in there, um, which is like creepy at the start of the comic, right? And then later, yeah. once you realize what Lil Cal is, uh, it's the worst. It's existentially horrifying. It's, it's like, I'm just thinking about the fact that Cal Sprite does nothing but laugh. Mm-hmm. And much now that we have the context from later in the comic, we're like, oh, he could talk if he wanted to. Yeah. But he's not. Well, because everything, everything's going right. Everything's going right for my man, Lil' Cal, in that doomed yeah. timeline. That oh, had to happen. The time of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And that, and, and Cal Sprite being so fucking obnoxious is part of what makes that doomed timeline Dave um, yeet himself back to the main timeline. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, and, you just can't take it anymore. Yeah. Um, and then, so it's actually interesting because that, like, that decision ends up creating Dave Sprite, who ends up creating Dave Petta, who ends up being the one to defeat Lord English. Um, and it's, and Caliborn, like, directly predicts that he will be responsible for training and creating his own demise, but he thinks it's going to be, like, a cool, like, a, like a, a boy with a sword, right? He thinks it's going to be Dave. He doesn't yeah. actually like, I don't, I don't think Caliborn at any point understands that Dave Petta is a thing that is going to happen to him. Yeah. I don't think he does. That's, that's the really funny thing about Caliborn really is that like Lord English as a villain seems to be at first, this 
incredible mastermind who is setting up all of these incredibly convoluted time loops. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that it's just a really petulant man-child stumbling ass backwards into all of it because he's so powerful that he just makes it work. Right. Like it all had to happen. And so it's only happening because it had to happen. There's no, there's no genius in it. It's just inspired by what happened. (laughs) He's just, he's just like coloring in a coloring book very shittily. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the way he draws a circle by creating like all of these extremely jagged lines. Like there's no finesse to it. It's just he's smashing away until the circle is, of stupidity is complete. Mm-hmm. And then we get uh, Vriska's first big influence on the story, um, which is Beck getting prototyped instead of yes. a frog uh, in in Jade's session, um, and that. That uh, that 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 had some pretty big implications yeah. for everybody. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Riska. Thanks, Riska. Um, and so that that and you know that was uh, I guess a parallel there because Riska ended up creating Jack Noir with that. Um, yeah, who ended up you know being being her death in some in in one version of the timeline and like is yeah. the reason why they were all stranded and found the humans in the first place and so yeah. again to say that vriska is like uniquely responsible is like well she was only there to create beck sprite because beck sprite, beck sprite already existed yeah and, and the, she even uses that logic when explaining herself to john too yeah it was like, gonna happen like, anyway here. i might <laughs> as well be important I might as well, yeah, exactly. It's like, God, so many fans got mad at Riska for that. I was like, look, her logic is flawless here. Lo- like, it was going to happen anyway. Like, I've, I've said this on the show before with Optimistic Duelist. The creation of Lord English and every component therein is a morally neutral event because it already happened. And any yeah. character any character playing out their role in making it happen is actually just preventing a doomed timeline by doing yeah, that. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> literally like there there can be no moral culpability for something that was destined to happen if if you're in a place like homestuck where it genuinely is destined to happen like like it's not like the villain who who massacres a village to stop the prophesized hero from coming at him like it, it because in homestuck there's no denying that every prophecy is going to ha- play out exactly yeah. Like, it might not actually be the way you expect, but it's going to happen, or you're going to be in a doomed timeline. Yeah. Um, and then, and then um, Jade prototypes her own dead dream self. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we get uh, something, something very, very rare in Homestuck. An introspective Jade character moment. <laughs> God, God, that's such a good moment for Jade. I yeah. wish we had a thousand more of those. Yeah. I... I was thinking earlier today about it, and I was thinking about how, like, Beck was Jade's closest friend mm-hmm. and only physical companion for years. Yeah. She was alone on an island, and the only person she could hug, talk to in real life, a pet, it was Beck. And she barely thinks twice about prototyping her dream self into him, even knowing that that will probably make Beck as he is disappear forever. Yeah. Because she knows that she has to do something. She, she in like Act 5, Act 2, is very determined to keep all her friends safe and do, like, fulfill her quest so that they can all um, live happily and so that things can have a good ending. And she's willing to sacrifice so much for that. 
And then immediately after that, she is confronted with a version of herself that will sacrifice nothing. Mm-hmm. A version of herself that is scared and just horribly sad in a way that Jade didn't think she was capable of being. Yeah, and hates. Like, that. there's a yeah. bit of self-hatred in that. Yeah, no, she's just furious. She, she hates Jade Sprite so much. And I... And, like, I only just thought of it now, but part of that is, I think, because she just sacrificed her best friend, and this is what she got in yeah. return. Well, like, that's, she, that's, that's, the, that's the Jade story. She sacrifices everything and gets paid in dirt. Yeah, exactly. At least like, she gets a lot of action in the epilogues. At least, yeah. fucking, at least somebody is. Yeah, go on, at least Jade's getting some fucking tail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jade even gets uh, a tail in the epilogues. Yeah, she does. Uh, which... <laughs> I mean, that's the best decision the epilogue's made. Yeah. They finally rectified the horrible, horrible mistake that was never giving Jade a tail. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go to the to the the patron zone uh, briefly. I forget what the f- money's stuck. I don't know what I'm calling it. We're gonna go to. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Shutting. You can find the perfectly generic podcast at pgenpod.com and information on our upcoming live shows at pgenpod.com slash live. We're going to be live August 3rd from Renton, Washington. That's a free show. Uh, October 26th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. That's ticketed, $5. Uh, and December 5th in Staten Island, New York, another free show. Um, you can find out more information, RSVP for these, and find the ticket buying link for the Chapel Hill show on pigeonpod.com slash live. You can find this show on the iTunes store, on Google Play, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, We really appreciate a review on any of these services. It helps get this podcast out in front of more people. Um, And if you want to go above and beyond and support the kind of independent content that you want to see in the world, you can support us at patreon.com slash peachandpod. Patrons get access to the exclusive Intermission podcast, uh, which is now 10 episodes, uh, bonus episodes of the show. Um, Some are about Homestuck, some are about topics as diverse as sonic the hedgehog and forza horizon um it's been a really fun time to you know get to talk with folks about a sort of wider looser variety of topics on intermission i've loved doing every one of them um and uh with your support you can listen to for just one dollar an episode the opening and closing music this episode's by Gumi, president for life of the Perfectly Generic Music Team. You can find them at smoothiefruity.bandcamp.com. Uh, the music currently playing is by me. I also want to encourage folks to tweet with the hashtag PigeonPod for their live blogs. Um, I love reading everybody's live reactions, and I know the panelists do too. Uh, it's awesome to see folks, you know, listening and getting excited in real time about the stuff that we're talking about. Um, and honestly, before we leave uh, the the <laughs> before we leave money stuck. I just wanted to say, um, you know, I just had a birthday yesterday, uh, and so many folks in this community uh, wish me a happy birthday. Uh, so much incredible fan art and writing um, and cosplay and stuff, and I am blown away by it. And uh, doing this podcast and being a part of this community with you uh, has been the most fulfilling and amazing creative experience of my life, uh, and I can't wait for what's next. Uh, thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to do the second half of our episode. If you're if you're just joining us, why do you start listening to podcasts halfway through? That's a very uh, strange behavior. I, I want to meet the person who does that and interview them. 
Um, save all your good questions for the second half, though. Um, oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so now I want to get into the other the other sprites, uh, the trolls kernel sprites. Um, and you know we get another time player self prototyping uh, yeah. in in there with with Aradia and the frog, and that's part of like Aradia's very long journey of being many different things. Yes. And all of those things being depressed until a while, <laughs> like for a while. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she can still ribbit. She never ribbits after she goes God tier. I guess she's no longer in the sprite body, so it wouldn't make sense. But, but Jade I, I still, wish... it's it's inconsistent. Yeah, I feel like the sprites is. are where you get the most inconsistent logic in all of Homestuck. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, Aradius Fright or Aradius Fright, however you want to say her name. That's one of the most disagreed upon names in Homestuck, I think. Yeah, I mean, Andrew uh, says Aradia, and even though a lot of people are very certain that that's wrong, I I like to let people who created characters tell me how they should be pronounced. Yeah, that's fair. So, so <laughs> because Aradia's I get right. I get mad when people don't pronounce my characters' names like, <laughs> like yeah. I say them. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I so I was she's another thing I was thinking about earlier and about like the the contrast between her and Dave as time players mm-hmm. and how you see that through their sprites. Um, because a radius sprite, uh, she creates herself out of an obligation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does it because that's what has to happen, because that's what the voices have told her has to happen. Uh, there's no free will there. She just does it because it must be. And mm-hmm. that's a very maidly thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. She's, she's cleaning up the timeline, doing what must be done. Whereas Dave has a choice there. He didn't have to prototype himself. There were plenty of other things that could be prototyped, Mm -hmm. but he chooses to do it because he thinks that will help him better protect his friends. Yeah. And thank God they did that after entry because otherwise all the imps would look like Dave and that would be very weird. God. Oh, that would be. (laughs) uh, Part of me is really sad that that never happened with anyone. And we never had like weird infusions of a, a living person. Uh-huh. That's um, the, the, well, yeah. Cause you know what we really need in a homestuck is more existential body horror. Right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, it would have been terrible. Like it, it, it would have just been so horrible to think about that. It could never actually happen, but I kind of wish it did just uh-huh. so we could all, I mean, the trolls, their biggest misplay was prototyping all their dead Lucy before entering. Prototyping their parents. Good lord, the final boss is all of your moms and dads. Oh my god, that's just life. Oh my god, holy shit! I just. <laughs> oh my god, the trolls have a coming of age story where the final boss is their parents. Yes. Uh, how cathartic must it have been for Vriska? I know. I like right. I was so I had a bullet point in this outline. Why on actual fucking earth would Vriska po- prototype Spider Mom? And right. then I realized it's because she gets to kill a bunch of things that look like the the, the parent that ruined her life. Yes, yes, God. Oh, thank you for this Vriska revelation. That's so fantastic, and I only like I only just thought of that because I was thinking the same thing when you put down that bullet point. I was like, my God, Vriska, what? Why what did you do that, Vriska? Yeah. You, like, I was thinking, well, I guess she just did it because, like, everyone else was doing it. And it, it's just, she's following the threads of fate and where they lead her. But, no, she she just got to kill a bunch of spiders. Yeah. That's uh, That must be so gratifying. <laughs> um, but other than that, like, all like all the troll sprites, other than, like, a radius sprite inhabiting the, ro- the robot, are... Um, are are gone by the time they're introduced in this like by the time the trolls are introduced in the story and they're not yeah. massively relevant 
again, aside from the Black King uh, having yeah. like having Boy Gibbs power. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting choice to have them all prototype their parents, and then there's like maybe two or three situations where they actually have a conversation and it's barely anything at all. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's Kanaya basically and her mother Sprite actually like I, I believe she actually says like they're there, it'll be okay, something like that. Yeah. Um and then the only other one that I can think of is um Terezi's dragon mom who is just this giggling mad woman. <laughs> Which is just fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, Terezi was like, hell yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, Terezi just having the time of her life with her mom. Life goals. (laughs) Yeah. I just want to be a giggling mad woman. (laughs) Oh god, I love her. Um, (laughs) I got distracted by my Terezi love. Um, It's okay. (laughs) uh, But yeah, like, in the end, like, the sprites were mostly just a a thing that was a sort of victim to... The fact that if you took as much time with the troll story as they did with the humans, uh, the comic would have been in the middle of it now. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. A Homestuck is just a giant list of like uh, 1,000 bajillion moments that we could have seen but didn't because there wasn't space for it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you just have to sort of fill in the blanks yourself about about the troll sprites mostly. Yeah. Oh, my God. Atlanta Rain have a man in a mascot costume. Oh my god. It's it's esports first official persona. This is a milestone moment and I'm so glad I could share it with you. <laughs> All right. Um <laughs> I, I got distracted by this. Uh yeah. So let's move on to um so we were talking a little bit about existential body horror. Um so I guess and it's time then. to approach the game over Alpha Kid sprites. <laughs> oh god, Tabra sprite. <laughs> Um, so I, so there's a lot of contenders for the worst moment in, in Homestuck. Um, and I think Tavris Sprite is the worst part of Homestuck. It is absolutely, it is so fucking difficult for me to read every single time. Here's the thing. When Tavris Sprite was created, there were so many people who were just in utter horror and like uproar over this. And I was laughing my ass off. Uh And I feel kind of bad about it because it really is like so horrifying. Like it's, nobody, it's bad. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants this. But it Gamzee, is, it's just, it's like this abusive relationship getting mashed into a single body, and that's just like the the most existentially terrifying thing you can imagine. It's so it sucks. It's it sucks for Vriska. It sucks for Tavros, and it's a continued element of Gamzee like trying to marginalize. Um, marginalize Vriska's importance whenever yeah. possible by putting stupid boy bullshit in her way. <laughs> yeah, honestly. As well as just Gamzee's, like... Gamzee is, like, he has two modes. He has, I'm doing something for the sake of my god lord English mode, and mm-hmm. he has, I'm doing something because I think it'll be hilarious mode. Yeah, I'm doing something like, to piss the audience off directly. Yeah. Also, this, uh, also, the epilogue interaction between Gamzee and Vriska... Um, and Gamzee's, like, weird attraction to Tavros, um, sort of recontextualizes that moment in a way that I don't want to think about very much. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Gamzee. Uh. I hate Gamzee so much. What, I want to move on. Tavros Sprite immediately <laughs> exploded. Thank fucking God. Thank God. Let's move on to dear sweet Fafetta. <laughs> uh, Fafetta, I love Fafetta. She, she makes me sad. 
Yeah. She, she makes me sad because, like, on the one hand, there's this incredibly hilarious running gag about how she never gets a single line of dialogue because it would just be a nightmare trying to put mash their two quirks and type speaking styles together. And that's funny, but it's also really sad because it's like it's a joke at the expense of people who care about minor homestuck characters. Yeah, right. It's 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 very much a joke like at the fact that they're not relevant. Oh my god, DeFran was in the mascot costume. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted again. There was, okay. uh, that, that, that name means nothing to me, but I'm sure uh, his persona is very cute. His persona was very cute. It's a it's a it's a phoenix. Um, oh, I love <laughs> um, all right, but yeah, it's like like you know, uh, Nepeta and um, and Feffery are eternally irrelevant. Um, I'm sorry if you like either of those characters. I like them both, but they're not relevant. Oh, I love them, and they just yeah. <laughs> there's there's they're they're among the characters in homestuck where it's like andrew did almost too good a job of creating interesting characters and so we wind up with a bunch of characters who are interesting and have tons of un- unexplored potential but you know there's like hundreds of characters in homestuck we can't focus on everyone right and that's part of why i liked um like you know why a project like friend sim is great because all the fans get so fucking deeply invested in these characters yeah, um, it's, it's fantastic I, I i'm looking forward to like i'm sure there's going to be some future stuff there you know i i got nothing to say right now but um shrimp dressing yeah there's <laughs> There's so much unexplored space in Homestuck that I'm just so glad that Friendsim became a thing and implanted this idea in everyone's head that, hey, we can do these small little things to explore stuff that we otherwise wouldn't get to spend time on. Yeah. Um, that, and- that was one of the best aspects of Friendsim, the way it got people energized about characters that otherwise would probably not get enough screen time to be so interesting. Imagine trying to do like five thousand words of friend sim for Fafetta, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where she doesn't speak at all the entire time. Oh my god! I mean, Geezy managed to do it with Carico. Oh please, please, Andrew, hire me to do that right now. Please. <laughs> um, I'll do it. I'll do it for free. And and uh, Fafetta ends up having this uh, ridiculous conversation with Aerosol Sprite, who's yeah. Jake's personal body horror abomination. Oh god. And. I mean, I'm a fully ascended Aridin stand and everything, but that that that, that sucked. I, I just love the part uh, a little bit later. I think it's when Roxy is recapping stuff for John and says something like, "Dear sweet Fafetta, she's floated," and then she just moves on. Yeah. <laughs> Roxy is just Roxy is a master of acceptance. Roxy, yeah. Roxy just like has her mental shit together so much that she can just be like, "Yeah, my friend exploded. Let's move on." Yeah, it happened. These, I, these I, I genuinely think that Roxy is the person with her shit together the most of everyone in Homestuck, and that's that's oh. remarkable considering she was a thirteen-year-old alcoholic and sexual harasser. Uh, a sixteen-year-old, actually. Oh yeah, sixteen-year-old alcoholic but, and sexual harasser. She'd probably a... she'd probably been drinking yeah. and fucking with Dirk for three years at that point. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Roxy. Roxy. <laughs> so, um, let's let's talk about the next sprite down the list. Um, the pinnacle of Homestuck sprite fusion existence, Arqueus. 
I think the most important thing about to note about Arqueus was that Gamzee like originally tried to create Arqueus as a cruel as as like you know service to Lord English, right? Because Arqueus yeah. is part of Lord English. Um, but in the post retcon timeline, Arqueus also gets created because and this is because Vriska and Equius's friendship is the funniest fucking thing in Homestuck, and Vriska just God. genuinely thinks that Arqueus is fucking hilarious. She does. It's so funny. How she describes Vriska. him as a national fucking treasure. Yeah, Vriska. Like she, she looks at like like what happened in the previous timeline and all the information that she has, you know, somehow assembled about that and, and pinpoints Arqueus and just like, I cannot allow this to unhappen. Yeah. It must must become a thing. He's just too delightful. And here's the thing. This is the thing that I least understand about, about Vriska is the fact that she's an Equius stan. Yeah. It's like, if not for that stuff with Arqueus, I would have been like, Vriska probably doesn't, actually like Equius. She just tolerates him because he's her neighbor. But then yeah. she creates Arqueus, and it's like, I guess there's just something about those muscles. My biggest thought about um, about Vriska and Equius's relationship is it's this Tumblr post that I'm going to read now. Um, yes, please. The lock jammed on the front door of my shitty pre-war apartment building, so I just spent 20 minutes forcing it open while my very drunk neighbor sat on the steps nodding at my efforts and going, this is fun, being locked out together. We should hang out more. He's like 6'2 and jacked. At one point, he was like, try a kick. Try kicking it. So I donkey kicked it as hard as I could, and it did absolutely nothing, but he was still like, wow, more torque than I expected. You've got a surprising uh, torque-to-size ratio, and I think I'm putting it on my resume. Oh, God. <laughs> the thing is, is that Vriska does have a surprising torque-to-size ratio. She does. It's incredible. <laughs> God, I love Arqueus. Yeah. I love how utterly delighted he is to be himself. Yeah. It's, this is So this is a thing also that uh, is a take that I remember, um, which is uh, like the, the Strylon problem is anhedonia. Um, and like Rose hates Jaspros, who we haven't talked about yet, but whatever. And Dirk like is very embarrassed by Arqueus. Like they're both embarrassed by these versions of themselves that love themselves yeah. And just like, and you know, just like genuinely enjoy their own identities. Yeah. In a way that seems to Rose and Dirk is like shameful. It does, yeah. And I, I would argue that for Rose, there's also a hint of jealousy there. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of Rose wishes she could be as open and happy with herself as Jasper Rose is. Yeah. Well, I'm but, sure that Dirk does, too. I mean, we see in the epilogues Dirk saying yeah. that, like, the thing he has in common with Garcat is self-loathing. True, true. Oh, God. I just, I, I just thought of Dirk for, like, five seconds, and now I'm angry. I'm mad. Oh, oh same, same. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... Well, we're going to go on a bit later, I'm sure, about yeah. how Dirk is a terrible person when um, we get more into epilogue sprightness. Yeah. Um, and so, so let's talk about... so. You know, so we get these uh, ter- these three terrible sprites and Arqueus um, yes. in the pre-retcon, and then post-retcon, um, Vriska's in charge, and so we get we get much better sprites. Um, mostly, mostly. <laughs> okay, well, we get we get Gcat Tavros sprite, um, and I've made a wow. sort of a professional brand out of not giving a shit about Tavros. So, you got anything to say about this? Oh, absolutely! Tavros sprite is amazing, and I love him. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I just I love. The moment when John meets Tavro Sprite and Tavro Sprite is immediately all buddy buddy with him. 
Yeah. Like, despite despite their like weird history in the previous version of the timeline, this version of Tavros is just like, hell, definitely, my bro. Let's let's hang out. And John's like, I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. Also, <laughs> he's he's basically the worst influence that Jake could have. Oh God, it's Tavros Sprite is so great because once he's finally freed from like. Uh, his kind of like shitty situation with Risco. Once he finally reaches the point where he doesn't really care, uh, he just develops the worst self confidence you can have. Like the worst version of having good self confidence. Right. Like it's it, it's the same as like when he tried to like play himself up when he confessed to Jade. Like Tavros with self confidence is just. He just does it all wrong. Yeah, and, and, and people and, and people I can only hear people saying, Well, Vriska's responsible for that by giving him a toxic idea of self confidence. Oh, and it's yeah, like, absolutely. yes, but also but also like your your fucking teenage girlfriend is not your therapist and is not actually responsible for your personality development. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, Tapos is just so funny because to me, because like he's like this really like wooby character who's very easy to feel sorry for and very kind of, like, pitiful-seeming. Yeah. But the moment he is allowed to genuinely express himself, he's just a douche. Yeah, right. And again, <laughs> this is very similar to Jake, in my mind. Like, you know, these these yeah. pages. There are these, these fucking pages. They're crawling all these... over the place. But, like, Ugh. Jake seems sympathetic until you recognize that, like, oh, he's shrugging off responsibility for everything that happens to him. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. And is, like, acting the fool when he should, when he should and does know better. Yeah, Jake is Jake sucks. Yeah. I, I do have some fondness for Jake. Um, I still would say I like him as a character, but oh, he I sucks. love him as a character, but he sucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I love Tavros Sprite. Um, and then Briska kind of ruins everything by just prototyping him with GCAT, just base like she does it for a reason, but she also kind of does it for the lols. Yeah, she she does it because. Despite the fact that she brought Tavros back as a way of redeeming herself for killing him, she's still in this state of mind where she thinks it's as simple as doing one act of, like, one act of contrition and then everything's good. And now she can prototype him with GCAT and that that's not a bad thing anymore because... Mm-hmm. Because they're square now. Yeah. Well, right. That's the thing is, is she's, she's very obsessed with fairness. Um, yeah. And like a lot of people who grow up in abusive circumstances, she has a transactional view of like of of interpersonal relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And that transactional view is, you know, what caused the revenge spiral. Um, God. And it's yeah. And so she's obsessed with being even. She's obsessed with with being in the clear morally. Um, Yeah. Far like far from being like. Far from being unconcerned with how she's perceived, Friska is actually extraordinarily concerned with how she's perceived. Oh, absolutely. Just pretending not to care about that. Yeah. Yeah, and so it, and so in her mind, she's like, I'm giving this guy, like, super powerful god abilities. He should be thankful for me. Like, and that totally cancels out the fact that he's allergic to cats. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do like to think that at some point, uh, Tavro Sprite's, like, Sprite slash first guardian power set let him overcome his allergy. Yeah, I mean he seems to overcome it pretty quickly with a placebo. Yeah. So yeah, I, I exactly. I'm pretty I, I think that might just be fakey fake fake. Um, it honestly might be. <laughs> I uh, also like I'm allergic to cats. I have a cat. I you you build a tolerance pretty quickly. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I have friends who are allergic to cats, but still own them. Also, Friska loves cats, like yeah. a lot. So she probably does. She doesn't see this as a bad thing at all. Oh yeah, she no, loves like, Jasper's. She her little interaction with Jasper Sprite, where oh, she's like, "You have adorable. a very important job," and it's, it's like the literal, like the softest Friska moment. It is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, like, I don't think that Vriska was intentionally being mean by prototyping no. Tavros with GCAT. I think she's just she's just a very bad social read of, oh, of yes, people. Absolutely not. It wasn't intentional mean. It was just more of Vriska thinking she knows best for everyone. Yeah, I think Vriska's um, autistic. That's my that's my big yeah. read. Is I don't think that she is very. I, yeah, I just think that she's got you know some challenges with correctly interpreting social cues from other people. Oh yeah. I could see that. And and by the way, while we're on the topic of Vriska really loving Jaspers, mm-hmm. uh, Vriska slash Jaspros. Oh, yeah, that's a good one right there. So let's talk yeah. about Jaspros, the ultimate expression of sapphism. Oh, I love Jaspros so completely and utterly. I was like, I was Roxy. Like, yeah. the moment that Jaspros appeared, I was over the moon. Why and is everything of, always so wonderful all the time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a bunch of other people were like, what the fuck is this Sprite Square to nonsense? Like, really? Are we really doing this? And I was like, yes, we're doing this. This is Homestuck. This is what you signed up for. Yeah, right. This, uh, the Sprite Square nonsense is the best part of Homestuck, and it's only in the last 10% of the comic. God, it is. It really is. Um, uh, and and so uh, this actually brings us to the best character in Homestuck. Um Cass asked on Twitter, uh, please talk about Dave Petta and what you think about their exposition on identity and existence. Dave Petta is so cool. Dave Petta is so cool. Dave Petta has the, has the best, like, Dave, so Dave Petta and Dirk have exact opposite views about what identity means and what the ultimate self means. Dirk sees it as this fucking anime power-up, and Dave Petta sees it as reaching this, this, like, level of acceptance and comfort with yourself. Um, yeah. And like an understanding of your role across the broader, like the broader timelines. Um, Absolutely. Which is, you know, a very unique combination of time and heart. Yeah. That's, that's why, that's part of why I think the sprites squared are so pleased with their existence Mm -hmm. is because they, they represent the positive side of the ultimate self. Yeah. Which is understanding who you are and accepting it. And like, coming to terms with like all of the use that you could have been and being able to say, well, I'm me. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And like, and you know, for in Homestuck also like, uh, like transformative queer moments are seen as like a a key path to happiness for characters. Right. And a key part of self-acceptance for characters. And like Dave Petta is very, very queer. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's so kind of like, it's nice to see them have this moment of confusion over their gender. Yeah. Um, and then, like, it doesn't become this, like, huge, like, horrifying mess for them. It's just something that they think about for a while, and they're like, I don't really know where I fall yet, but I'm just going to go with this for now. Yeah. And it's, like, <laughs> it, it, it's nice, because there, there's a lot of other worse stories and stories that are much less queer-friendly, where something like this would be, like, a gag about how, oh, this is horrifying, I'm, I'm part man, part woman, what do I do, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't do that with Dave yeah. Peta. Yeah. And, and like, 
God, I love Dave Petta. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. And, and right. And so for like Dave Petta's existence is a very like sort of direct and like eye opening thing for Jade, especially. Um, yeah. And oh God. And then Dave Petta gets absolutely like, you know, and then Dave Petta is like stuck with this canonical duty to go to go fly up into the green sun like a piece of garbage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fulfilling Dave Sprite's arc. Um <laughs> Honestly, especially in light of the the candy timeline, Dave Petta says a lot about Dave's method of dealing with stress and yeah. Dave Sprite's method of dealing with stress, which is keep it bottled up until I get the opportunity to escape. Yeah. Right. And and for Dave Sprite, like Dave Sprite's big character issue is worrying about what's going to happen once he and Dave are together and he becomes the extraneous Dave again. Yeah. And that's why he has this horrible like breakup with Jade, because he's thinking in his head, like, either I am going to get to the end of this three years and she's going to hop over to the regular Dave and I'll be left alone, or I'm going to end up cucking my prime self. <laughs> Really, and like that's that's what he's like dwelling over, yeah. and that's why he breaks up. Right, with and her. those are, and those are the sort of like, frankly, just like completely stupid and heteronormative uh, like ideas that like a you know a thirteen year old boy that grew up in Texas would have. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, like of he, course, he thinks, that's your worry. <laughs> yeah, he thinks it's his duty to be there for Jade, yeah. and that continues all the way through the Candy timeline yeah. until they have a horrible, horrible, tragically heterosexual marriage yeah for dave petta i almost feel like there's an element of tragedy on dave sprite's half where he's like happy that they can go fulfill this narrative obligation to fight lord english and he doesn't have to worry about where he's gonna be Mm -hmm. afterwards but there's also this element of freedom where it's like because they are something new maybe they don't have to actually be like, maybe Dave Sprite no longer has these obligations because now Dave Sprite gets to be a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that you can look at it in both a very optimistic or a very pessimistic light, depending on how you want to interpret their character. Yeah, and Leigh Williams asked on Discord, so oh. I want to get into the sprites and the epilogues now, um, because Leigh Williams yes, asked please. on Discord, do you think the sprites were left out of the epilogues because their presence would complicate the story, such as having two Nana sprites might make the reader ask how Jane was able to get, where, to, get to where she had, or Arqueous sprite's connection to Dirk? Furthermore, why do you think the only sprite to get a mention was Dave Petta? Was it because they couldn't be avoided? And frankly, this is something that's been sticking in my craw for a long time now. Oh, absolutely. Because it is a because it is a direct plot hole, and those don't happen in Homestuck for no reason. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I've been this is the thing I've been spending the most time thinking about in the lead up to this podcast recording mm-hmm. is all of my thoughts on the sprites and the epilogues. Yeah. Um, so to, to Leigh Williams, I, I want to say, yes, they were left out because their presence would complicate the story. Um, yes, Dave Petta was the only one mentioned because they couldn't be avoided. And here's the question. Yes. Though. Who is making the decision about what complicates the story and what doesn't in the Homestuck epilogues? Exactly. And that's <laughs> what I'm going to get to because yeah. many people like, obviously this is an, obviously there's an out of universe explanation, which is that the writers had a story they wanted to tell and the sprites would get in the way of that. But if it's that, but if that's the only explanation, then that's just straight up bad writing. Right. You can't just make a character disappear because they weren't convenient anymore. Right. This isn't the West Wing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but because <laughs> peace, Mandy, uh, I'll never forget you. 
Oh, God. But because Homestuck tends to be so methodological about this kind of stuff, um, you and because they like they're so completely not mentioned, like not even a throwaway line about the sprites, mm-hmm. that leads one to believe that there must be an in-universe explanation. And mm-hmm. I think it's Dirk. Yeah, I think it's Dirk as well. I like you know Dirk. I like these sprites have a different understanding of the ultimate self than Dirk, and that makes them the enemy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly because. Like, for just Jaspros, for example, there's 0% chance that Dirk could get away with what he did to Rose if Jaspros was around. Yeah, absolutely. Because Jaspros... Jaspros is so deeply narcissistic mm-hmm. uh, because of who she is that she loves every Rose, and she wants every Rose to be happy. Yeah. And she has a much better understanding of Rose than Dirk does and would understand that Rose does not want what Dirk did to her. Do you, th- you ever think about that one that one little mini panel uh, in one of the like choose your own next section things where like Rose is smothering herself with a pillow and there's <laughs> yes. a thought bubble over her head with Jaspros and a pitch sign? Yes, oh, I love that. I think that about that so, so much. God, I I just want Rose and Jaspros to have like this turbulent, horrible like pseudo relationship that ends with rose finally coming to an understanding with herself yeah and like that's what the sprites represent like the the sprites who are a direct copy of someone else they're like the shadow self from persona right yeah like they represent everything that you dislike about yourself and if you want to grow as a person you have to come to a reckoning with that i don't actually know persona but that sounds like young so (laughs) i'm going to assume that's where persona (laughs) stole it from (laughs) yeah well to be perfectly honest i've never played persona either i'm just in it for the memes all right that's fair um Um, let's see we're we're over an hour now so let's 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 lightning round these last few questions oh god okay um, I'm sorry, I just have so much to say. Oh, I know this is a this is a this is a subject near and dear to to, to both yeah. of our hearts. Um, curious cantrip asked on Twitter takes on how sprites allow class specs to be combined and what that means for the character as well as the class spec system itself. Um, cool things. I feel like you only yeah. really get that with Dave Petta. Um, yeah, and a little bit with Arqueus, I guess. Um, yeah, and they're both heart, and I guess heart's preoccupation with identity um, and the various permutations of identity would sort of make heart players more naturally prone to have, like, a shared identity with other people. Yeah. Um, wh- wh- what it says about the class spec system itself is that the class spec system is a whole bunch of hot nonsense. Yeah, the class spec <laughs> Just, system is whatever is necessary for, for, the, for the story to proceed. Yeah. Like, class specs, if, if you are writing your story in service of class specs and not using class specs in service of your story, then you're making a mistake. Uh, yeah, it, it, exactly. They're like... I mean, they're like horoscopes, right? Like, yeah. you can read anything you want into them, and that's part of what makes them so fun. Is like, that for example, like, Cecily in Snowbound Blood was originally a completely different class and aspect, and then I wrote her and was like, oh, she's actually this. Like, just yo- just yoink, just changed it. That's, yeah. like, if you're if you're limiting yourself with class specs, then you're using the system wrong. Yeah, and, like, a bunch of people, like, on the FriendSim team, like, there are a lot of differing opinions over what MSPA readers' exact class spec would be. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's just so many different ways of looking at it. Yeah. I, I, I like hearing the different perspectives on MSPA reader because MSPA reader is a reflection of us. Right. And we all exactly. have, we all have very different relationships to the two, to aspects. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Crow asked on Twitter, what is a sprite combination that you'd wish to see regardless of their explosion potential? Um, I, I proposed, I wrote some microfic yesterday about Albion Dirk sprite, which is the, the ultimate godkin. Um, just, just the worst egotist imaginable. And some, and some people drew some lovely fan art of that. (laughs) God. I, I just want to see Vriska plus anyone. I just want to see every possible Vriska combination. <laughs> Vriska is Vriska's identity is just too big and too uh, too big and powerful. Exactly, and that's why it would be fun because uh-huh. it would because it's not going to be a perfect mishmash. It's more going to be like Vriska screaming angrily while somebody tries to whisper in her ear. Yeah, which is not you know which is something that she's a little bit used to actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, Maple Strip asks on Discord the age old question: What would you prototype? So I, I've been thinking about this since the beginning, and I have like a bunch of like amiibos and figurettes like on the the shelf beside me. So I'd probably end up just throwing those into a sprite and seeing what I get. Um, for example, I have I have a pearl and a garnet from Steven Universe, and if I put them together, do I get sardonic sprite? Uh huh. Like that's what you would expect. But well, but then know. you'll be you'll, you'll be absolutely broke because you have to pay the licensing fees for <laughs> Nicki Minaj's voice. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you'll you'll God. start out you'll start out so many boon bucks in the hole. Oh yeah, I, I also have a zero suit Samus amiibo, and I'm like, if I prototype that, does that make me too horny? I would throw. I, I would take. I would take an Isabella amiibo and a zero suit Samus amiibo and chuck those in. Oh my god, I I can't discuss what would happen next on this podcast. <laughs> because of <day> trading. <laughs> <laughs> you can find out at archiveofourown.org. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. And Aisha, our final question, asked on Twitter: Ghost butts discuss. Uh, um. Well, yes. I mean, you've seen that page where Dave Petta and Arqueus embrace. They clearly have ghost oh, yes. They They do. Um, some may say it's only because they're sprite squared. Oh, well, uh, well Arqueus isn't well, a sprite squared. He has a ghost exactly, butt. Yeah, no, you're so, right. Uh, they definitely exist. Um, also, I, I, in back with Cal Sprite, um, there's a scene in Dave Accelerate where Cal Sprite transforms into a Smoppet and attacks enemies. And Smoppets have just the best butts around, so... Jesus Christ. I, you know, I think this might actually be the first time Smuppets came up on this podcast in 45 episodes. So I just really want to give you a shout out for that. Oh, no. Oh, no. I've done something terrible here. (laughs) So that's our show. Uh, (laughs) You can find this show at perfectlygenericpodcast.com. I want to thank our uh, Skylark tier patrons, Bucky Grant, Carmen, Cheryl Abramoff, Fragment Voyager, Goomba Masta, Alexander Strider, Isaac Chapman, J.R. Hyde, J. Logan, Conduit of Queerness Itself, Krista Fables, Lokri, Rose Reardon, Taylor Dierks, Frisk Communism, Xteen, Yo Johnson, Yo It's Crow, and Zach. Thank you so much for your support, and this show's brought to you by listeners like you. Uh, every patron support is split evenly with the contributors and guests that make this show what it is. Um, you can find out more at patreon.com slash pgenpod. Uh, you can find me at twitter.com slash gamblignant8, uh, twitter.com slash katemitchellwa, um, and uh, ssstudio.org uh, is the company that I just started. Um, and uh, Trace, where can folks find you? All right, you can find me on Twitter at Trace Excalibur. Um, it's just the two words Trace and Excalibur mashed together, no um, underscores or anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, you must find me there and you must follow me. Uh, it's mandated. It's imperative. We, yes, we, if exactly. you do not do that, we might be entering a doomed timeline. 
we might, and you wouldn't want that. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Trace. I really appreciated having you. It was fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad I came on. It was good. See you guys next week. Bye. Yeah, bye, everyone. Snake Solutions LLP.